0: I'm good. How are you? Are you wearing a strawberry shortcake shirt? Yes. <laughs> wow. Strawberry shortcake bubble bath. I was really into her, but now I'm like, what did she even do? She was was there a cartoon attached, or she was just like a person? <laughs> um, I don't know about the
1: cartoon. She had friends who... Oh, I think there was a cartoon. <laughs> I I had a doll in a dollhouse of strawberry shortcake. Oh, yeah. Really, I haven't thought about those. She made um, cookies and
0: muffins a lot for her friends. And <laughs> pet her cat a lot. Wait, wasn't there like a bad guy who was like the purple pie man or something? (laughs) 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 Or am I mixing cartoons? But I think that's right. I think there was like a um, ColecoVision video game that I enjoyed also.
1: (laughs) Strawberry Shortcake was a long, long time ago for me, but I remember I have positive
0: thoughts about her. Yeah, I think I, I was like really into her. I, I have positive thoughts as well. <laughs> <laughs> but um, yeah, I was l- doing some research to prepare and I was like looking at all your other shows at Klaus Gallery and which I feel like I've maybe seen most of them, or at least I remember seeing, I remember seeing your work like a really long time ago. And I know I knew it had changed a lot, but I was like realizing it really changed a lot, like between your last solo show and this one, like it's a pretty radical shift, but which I think is cool. Um, And I was like thinking about, I was reminding of this gusting quote that I really like where he's, he said, um, it's taken me many years, but I've come to the conclusion that the only technique one really, one can really learn is the capacity to be able to change. Mm-hmm. And um, I don't know, I was just noticing like, like your earlier work was like cast kind of Well, it felt very architectural, It seemed like it was kind of cast from architecture or was like, at least it was very hard and it was made of plaster. Right. And it seemed like kind of, I was just noticing how it was like the external and now it's like totally the internal, like, and it's soft and it's like, literally like innards and stuff. And I don't know, I just thought that was a really... Really interesting to note that shift and think about it in terms of like maybe getting older. And I don't know, I know that you're interested in young too. And he was like all about how like actually getting older is like turning from the external to the internal. So I just thought that was cool to that kind of happened in your work. Um, maybe not, I don't know, maybe I don't know if it was a conscious thing or not, but it, it just. It seems like that kind of happened.
1: Yeah, I guess it's like I don't think of it as being that different. And I do think of it as being really, really different. Mm -hmm. But I feel like I've probably changed more times than has been visible to people publicly, you know, changed more times in my work because. I did have a history of dyeing fabric and using textile in my work actually when I was in high school and early in college. Mm-hmm. Um so it was like um it was accessible to me to make that change and it feels accessible to me to change a lot actually because sometimes I use art making as a way to I guess kind of like explore the world or process it or reflect it back to myself. So then materiality becomes I don't want to say incidental, but it can be about where I am at the moment and I will learn those skills and kind of like experiment with those materials and create the outcome that I wanna see. This was a little bit harder shift because I feel like it was, maybe it was about getting older because there was a real shift in content in a way in the work, but it doesn't feel spiritually that different Mm. to me.
0: That's interesting. I mean, I feel like, um, yeah, I mean, I have a lot of thoughts and curiosities about it. But like, I was noticing how, like, you actually label the pieces with like the different kinds of dye technique, which I thought was interesting. Um, Just and like, yeah, I don't know. That's interesting to know that you started learning that techniques in high school, like I it feels like you know about, you know, you know a lot about dye and textiles and like the kind of histories of them and different cultures that feels like, yeah, like, I don't know. I feel like you really digested a lot of information about those things that that it's almost like second nature to you or something.
1: I did a lot of work to figure that out for probably like five years for maybe about the past five years to get it to where it is now. But I had some kind of familiar foundation because, well, I learned wax wax resist techniques and, well, tie-dye, which is actually related, which comes from shibori. It's, hey, what's shibori? So, that is a japanese resist process where stitching is used or folding to um, keep the, the dye from penetrating a certain part of the fabric um usually it's done with indigo i think there's kind of like an immediacy to indigo where it doesn't have to be the, the cloth doesn't have to be cooked in the dye or hang out in the dye for a very long period of time um, because it doesn't really fully penetrate the fibers. It builds up on the surface. Hmm. Um, so it's a really, really good dye to use with resist processes because you don't get the same type of penetration that you would if you left it in the in a dye overnight, or cooked it, or or something, you know. And it, it can be done. It's done in cold to, I guess, warm water. Mm. Um, I digress. I guess I also learned batik, um, in high school because I worked with this woman in a head shop um making all of these hippie tapestries and tie-dyed shirts or we would dye repurposed clothes that's cool (laughs) stuff like that i mean it was kind of cool i really wanted to learn it she never paid me on time it was really annoying (laughs) (laughs) but um but i i learned from her and then i worked for her so um that's (laughs) kind of my background in those processes and they resurfaced initially out of um, like a practical concern because i was making this big heavy work it was very dusty the architectural work the plaster based work um and cutting plexiglass and it was very very hard on my body and it created a lot of dust and not only that um, it was like i was getting signals from the cosmos or something to stop making it because it kept breaking Hmm in these very weird situations like one piece was run over with a lawnmower um, <laughs> outdoors one piece actually went through hurricane sandy i believe um that was another outdoor piece and another one was broken during um, an installation so it was like I was always going back and trying to correct or repair something instead of just moving forward in my work. Mm -hmm. And So I just decided that I wanted to move forward in my work in a different way and make something gentler and make something that I was able to fold up and put in a bag and that I could just like take on the subway and go yeah
0: somewhere or I mean that's very real like I feel like (laughs) I also have a sculpture background and I yeah at a certain point I don't think this is exactly why I stopped making sculpture but it is very decadent like I after grad school I had like a huge cardboard wave that I'd made and it was like <laughs> I got a storage space to like like keep it and then I was like I can't be like paying hundreds of dollars a month for this hunk of cardboard that's insane.
1: It does get real. I mean things build up you know yeah. and I don't know there comes a time to kind of like Purge things and, and move on. And yeah, I mean, Gustin is uh, an artist who I've hugely admired from the beginning, you know, and I remember, I mean, I didn't know anything about art really at all in freshman art history. But he really stood out to me. And so did Eva Hess and a few other people, but I was just like so stunned by their work in that, well, in in his case, it was made really clear that he drastically changed his work, right? Mm -hmm. And And in both of their cases, it was also really clear that they were doing whatever they wanted and I was just like wow (laughs) you can make something that like I guess quote-unquote ugly if you (laughs) want
0: to you know what I'm saying yeah or kind of like dumb or I don't know like not trying to be fancy or I don't know (laughs) I don't know if any of those words aren't quite right but yeah, like it's actually interesting to think of those people together as an influence in your work too. Like the kind of like body bodiliness of Eva Hess and like using things like string and and kind of the like like I don't know, I think of some of her latex kind of hanging pieces and then like the cartoony little characters in. In Gustin, it like makes me think of some of the like entities that are coming into your work, like pieces of the body or or like I don't know, I thought of them as chakras and things, but like mm-hmm. have, like little soft feet and um like a heart or different things that look like organs or roots and things
1: yeah, uh, there definitely is a cartoony aesthetic. Uh, in my work too and I it's like I don't know how intentional it is but it is what it is you know I mean it's like there's kind of I feel an urgency about making things and and making something work Mm -hmm. you know so it's just like sometimes it has to be fast or (laughs) generalized yeah
0: I mean I think it works really well like I think it the the cartoony Or at least, in a way, in both of your work, I think, makes it feel universal. It's like the idea of the heart or something rather than a specific heart or something. I don't know. Yeah. And I think that, in a way, speaks to, like, I don't know, it seems like you have this, like, folklore piece that's part of your press release for the show, which I think folklore also speaks to kind of the universal like human condition and and that kind of thing.
1: Right, you know, it's like there's a lot of overlap in folklore and storytelling. It is also really malleable. You know, it's like you read two stories told by two different, or you read a story told by two different people and it can have a very different resonance in a way, depending on the voice. Mm. I think the thing about internal, you know, it just, it just made me think, I feel more okay with being um, more vulnerable in my work yeah that comes through um, but it's terrifying to
0: show yeah <laughs> at first right yeah I mean I think it's even not at first like <laughs> I think you I mean I think if you're doing it right you are really bearing something that you might not be showing in just like normal conversation or normal social interactions right
1: yeah i guess there's the question of being too vulnerable but Hmm. i i really yeah i really feel like something changed for me in the vulnerability of what i was doing or what i was showing and maybe the work you've first saw was um yeah really externalized and kind of like a shell and really mental actually
0: yeah that's More what conceptual or something it's like a shell or a facade and it's interesting how you said too in a way like it kept breaking like it was um it was um brittle and now Actually, these softer pieces are much stronger, like it would be probably hard to break them, you know? Yeah,
1: that's a pretty interesting way to think about it. You know, I think sometimes in your life, it's just like you're not ready or you don't have enough life experience.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, and also, I noticed like there was one die piece in your last solo show, which felt like kind of a, it was like a, It was like an early sign of what was to come or something, too. Right. That
1: was a gemstone boutique that I made on my roof um, one summer, you know, because I could really take up space up there and use a hose. (laughs) And I don't know what it is about summer, but I think it's like well, my the job I was doing at the time was a lot slower, so I could time it so that I could use my whole bathtub and <laughs> dye the piece um, when I didn't have to take a bath or a shower. <laughs> 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 and then take it up to the roof and do some things to it. But um I think that it was so much fun to make that that I realized that I just like
0: needed to change course. Well, that's amazing that it just like you just were literally just having more fun with doing it. It does seem fun to use a hose. It's like a different scale of painting in a way too. It's like or at least the hose part. I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it was
1: a it is a really it's like a really generalized scale (laughs) or makes a real generalized mark back to like cartooniness. But Yeah,
0: yeah. I mean, yeah, I think hoses in general maybe are kind of cartoony a little bit. I
1: think the whole kind of zeitgeist changed around artwork, though, or making art um, over the past 20 years or so, because I guess, I guess I was in graduate school 20 years ago. and Oh, wow.
0: You went early, or I guess maybe not that early, but... No, I'm just old. <laughs> no, but uh, I don't know. Like, I, I feel like we're basically similar age and... I guess I went, like, I graduated, like, 15 years ago, so it's really not that different, but <laughs> you must have gone sooner after undergrad, maybe, I don't know. Yeah,
1: I did go pretty quickly. Um, yeah, I feel like there was this undercurrent in graduate school at the time where I feel like there was a lot less, I I hope I'm not just making this up, but... <laughs> there was a less of an orientation
0: towards pleasure. Oh, hell yeah. I think, I mean, I think my grad school wasn't the worst of it, but like, yeah, it was all about like the intellect and like proving something. And I don't know, very like heady and like, you should like have some theory to back it up or I don't know, that kind of thing.
1: Right. Because I guess it, you know, I guess it is like scholarly, right? So you have to you have to back things up, or you have to cite things, or uh, back up your your, or it has to be like data oriented in a sense, right? If I mean, that sounds really crazy, but you know, I mean, it is school, you know. So I guess there is that aspect of um, there is this aspect of research and citation, even though it's visual art.
0: Yeah I think it's like in a way I feel like it's like a guilt complex of like art is pleasurable and it doesn't actually need any like (laughs) uh, whatever citation like but like it would be too easy or too like um, it would seem too like flimsy or something if we treat it that way or too hippie-ish or I don't know. I just think it's, like, against the ethos of academia, like you said, kind of.
1: Yeah. Um, Yeah, it's a funny thing to go to school for art. I mean, I actually really did have a lot of fun. Mm -hmm. But I feel like there was an undercurrent there somehow, at least during crits where was against
0: the talk was against pleasure. Or just like or like also kind of yeah, like like what is your thesis or I don't know, like even just knowing what you were doing in some very rigid way, which now feels I don't know. I feel like it was great then to graduate and be like, fuck all that, of, <laughs> Right.
1: And you just work and you just
0: naturally know what to do. And that's a lot better. Yeah, because it's like, I think there's there's a video I show my students actually of this graphic designer, David Carson, who's actually really cool and very, like, was basically very unschooled, but became a real, like, rock star designer of the 90s. But he was, like, saying, like, basically, like, you can't teach intuition so schools kind of avoid it or something because yeah like it's really you can only really I mean maybe they're suspect of it too in a way well you can't really teach someone how to be an artist right you can yeah. only you, yeah you can only and maybe you can only like support or help them sort themselves out kind of exactly
1: you can support and guide people
0: yeah but the more people like notice that the less they need an mfa also <laughs> <laughs> which i feel like a lot of people are maybe going to be realizing <laughs> in the next couple years Um, i feel like yeah that's gradually been it's- happening Yeah, especially if you're not trying to be a teacher yourself. Like, it might be money you could be better off spending in another way. Or you can,
1: you can, um, I mean, a lot about getting an MFA is uh, having a community. Yeah,
0: 100%.
1: You know, I mean, that's the best thing. That's the absolute best thing about it, besides maybe just having time. I mean, because I did have time because I work for the school and I went to school in Ohio mm-hmm. and there wasn't as much um I mean not even close to as much financial pressure. Yeah. There, you know, living there. So it was very immersive. So having that much time to make your work and then having that community that's an absolutely wonderful thing you know but the thing is on the other side of it well you can move to New York and create a community as well but
0: I know and I feel like for me I I went to New York like a dummy and spent way too much money i didn't have and (laughs) a lot of the people i went to school with stopped making art even so i feel like in some ways the community that i have that's more long-lasting has just been made through like residencies or organically Mm -hmm. through living here for so long Mm -hmm. so i mean i'm i love learning and i'm very grateful and i don't regret my education at all but i Regret how much money I spent on it.
1: (laughs) Yeah, I I don't know really what to say about that.
0: (laughs) Well, let's go back. Let's we got on a tangent about MFAs. I feel like maybe we should re refocus. Like, I feel like you you said all these interesting things that I wanna follow up on. Like, um, well, for one thing, this idea of The possibility of being too vulnerable and I don't know if I I don't know if that's possible for me or I mean I enjoy that as a (laughs) I enjoy that kind of work but maybe in a way I wonder if that's like a like a holdover from like the ethos of MFAs or something it's funny
1: when we talk about vulnerability because I feel like I'm I feel like I'm hiding something still, you know what I'm saying, like, in conversation. um, I mean, it's one thing to make your work and make something visual and to be vulnerable in that way because visual language is still, it's still coded or more overarching. Yeah. Um, It's not like you're necessarily being autobiographical i mean maybe you you are maybe you aren't but um the way that things are read can be almost more a reflection of the viewer than of
0: yourself you know what i mean yeah totally i mean that feels like kind of what i was saying about the universal too like it does feel I do feel like this work is much more personal and open or like even the forms themselves kind of feel like rib cages that are cracked open or something. Those those shapes came from just like cutting up a bunch of
1: fabric in a whole bunch of different ways. Like what can I do with first it was like what can I do with one cut and then it was what can i do with as many cuts as i can make into a square or a rectangle you know and pull it apart like a piece of expanded metal or something mm. and i had been using a lot of well not a lot i had on a couple of occasions used some plant medicine or something and and it was like really present in my in my line of vision or something to be able to see these formats as biological Mm. i don't know they have kind of something to do with fractals and something to do with really simple life forms or something or the way the way skin or something could develop into a three-dimensional shape or a skeletal structure, I guess. But I took that format and I decided that I wanted to use it as my substrate like it was a painting substrate, like a canvas, you know. Like why do I have to reinvent the form over and over again, you know, as a sculptor, you know, it it gets so it can be so cumbersome and overbearing when it's like, you don't want to reinvent the wheel every time you want this format that you can project your ideas onto.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it looks reminiscent of a, like a backbone, which is a kind of like, in a way is like, the i wouldn't call it the substrate but the like i don't know an anchor point of the body you could say or
1: yeah that's a actually really good way to put it because it's not exactly specific but it is completely biological looking i think i mean
0: yeah totally and i feel like the spine is like referenced in different like i don't know like meditation things, or even like, I only know very little about it, but I know, like Martha Graham's dance was all about like the spine and stuff, and okay. mm-hmm. yeah,
1: ways of moving. I don't know, I think maybe i I feel like I'm kind of a kinesthetically oriented person, so I feel like even though the work wasn't so directly maybe obviously body oriented. I mean, maybe the body was your body as as a viewer or my body as a maker. You mean in the past work? In the past, like in relation to some kind of space. Yeah. Some kind of imagined space. And I mean, I think going back to what you were saying earlier, becoming more internal as you get older, it didn't seem like such a big leap. I mean, I've always been interested in dance actually and I've done yoga for many, many years. So I think some of the ideas come from that. When I was really young, I just happen to remember when I was really young, I, well, San Francisco has a big dance scene and uh, I wrote a grant to go to Global Buteau. Whoa. I don't
0: know if you know about do you know what buto is? I do it's well you say what it's about though I mean I but I'm intrigued by that yeah um
1: so it was a it was a workshop um about this post-World War II Japanese dance form so it's like fairly relatively contemporary um a lot of times the body is uh uh covered in like a a white powder Mm -hmm. um it's it's really primal and and i'm sorry it's like slipped away who the major players in this movement are um it slipped my mind but actually the brooklyn academy of music sometimes has Bhutto performances and they have uh, over the years so you can see some amazing um, dancers um, there Uh, but basically after the atomic bomb was dropped it's like that res that resonance kind of like shifted things in the culture and Bhutto was definitely part of that how it how that developed. Um, It was a very primally oriented dance. So um, a lot of the dancers would talk about being before they were born. And also, at the same time, it had kind of like a future kind of apocalyptic aspect Mm -hmm. to it, or kind of like a sense that something had happened or was in the near future. Um, And it used a lot of extremely slow movements, like intense body control. Um, And a lot of it took place on the
2: ground. So I don't know, I guess somehow at the time I found it
1: very interesting, this relationship to the ground and especially the relationship to being,
0: being before you're born. Yeah, it's pretty, I want to
1: do, I want to learn about that.
0: Yeah. I'm like my friend Greta did some like workshops with that too. And I was like thinking of doing it because I yeah, I'm intrigued by different dance forms and like different modes of performance. And my understanding of it too is that it's like kind of like it's almost like anti-ballet, like like in the sense that it's interested in kind of the abject and even being kind of disgusting or unattractive or something, which I found very fascinating. Like, I don't know. (laughs) But it sounds really challenging also to like Loose loosen up enough to allow yourself to do that publicly with other people.
1: <laughs> yeah, I mean, I don't think I was really there yet. I tried my best and I had an experience, you know, but it's like. I was very—I was from a very small town and San Francisco was like. One of the first really big cities that I went to, so. I just went there and was interfacing with all these people who were really 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 in the dance scene and I was an artist and
2: how old I were you?
1: Approach.
0: Um 20 That's so cool. That was very like baller move to do that. <laughs> 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 were they much older than you? Were people in it much older? They seemed a lot older, but I don't think so. Oh, they were maybe just more worldly or something. Oh,
1: yeah, totally. (laughs) Well, I think they were at least maybe in their middle 20s. I feel like I'm pretty sure I was like pretty much on the young side. Mm -hmm. But the person who introduced me to that was a a performance art teacher I had actually in college named Jeffrey Bird. Oh, and um
0: that's how I knew about it that's cool did you was he like um I feel like even at Pratt there was really only one performance art class that I was aware of that I did take and felt like kind of blew my mind a lot but yeah wait so so that was in undergrad which was in Indiana so I went to the University of Northern Iowa. Oh, Iowa. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, I moved to Iowa when I was in junior high. And then ended up going to college there, actually very close by to
0: where I was growing up. That's cool. I mean, it sounds like pretty progressive, or at least it had some progressive pockets. Was Do you feel that? Iowa as a place, or yeah, the school, the school, it? the program.
1: Um. Well, the program had okay. So two people. So I mentioned Jeffrey Bird. So he came in as a photography professor, and he created a performance class and kind of a performance community on his own, you know, just by coming in through photography. So um, he was great. And also my teacher, Crit Street was one of the best teachers I've had. Mm-hmm. And he was in the painting department. And then actually, when I was in my last year, Meg Lipke, taught at my school and I took a painting class from her and actually she has a show up right now also
0: oh yeah Uh, that's cool I mean I don't know her at all but I would that's interesting that she was your teacher I would have thought maybe that I've I that she would be just your peer or something but maybe she wasn't even that I don't know how old she is or whatever
1: um. Yeah, she's just a little bit older than me. I mean, she came in really young as a professor, and I was almost finished. And then also Deborah Zlotsky, she is an abstract painter. And actually, she has a very strong background in figurative painting. And as far as I've seen recently, she is an abstract painter now, and actually she does show sometimes in new york um and um
2: trying to think of who else
1: um, well, just for the moment, those were some people that I came into contact with, and then my very, very close friend um. Abenati mesa is an artist who works in houston texas mm-hmm. and um we came up together in that school and we share a birthday
3: Aw, that's sweet <laughs> <And these> girl <laughs> makes art
1: and actually he um well he is a performance artist still and was very interested in Bhutto. Mm-hmm. so um i mean Yeah, we were friends with, we were friends with Jeff Bird also, or I would consider him a friend. Mm
3: Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's
0: cool. I mean, yeah, I, even the people that were my professors who are much older than me are kind of, I feel like the ones I kept in touch with are basically peers in a way, although I maybe have some sense of them being like mentor-ish or, or something, something but not as much as I did mm-hmm. but um I don't know when you're talking about I don't know that woman Deborah Zabowski is that Deborah Slotsky Zlotsky. but I was thinking maybe you said like she had like a figurative background but became abstract and I feel like maybe your work is like the opposite in a way or or I don't know figurative is really the right word but it feels very oriented towards the body now and like I was like reading that that folklore piece I guess which is called Skeleton Woman is that right yeah Yeah, that's right it was like there's this part where the woman is saying just like flash 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 over and over (laughs) and Uh I was getting chills from that somehow I don't like I don't know what it was but it was just like maybe well maybe also exacerbated by these fucking weird times we're in but like somehow this like insistence on flesh and the body and like and like that kind of fleshiness was like moving to me
1: I understand that I mean it's what we all want right you know
2: yeah (laughs) it's just like
1: I just feel so distant from people like it creates another kind of behavior to wear a mask and then (laughs) to my friends you know and it's like I can't even look them in the eyes and greet them properly yeah you know and and I I won't say that I'm like um an overly touchy person but I do like to hug people and you you want contact you know it's like you want physical touch you want to Um, I mean, maybe you do or you don't, but you kind of like want to see a person, smell a person, (laughs) hear a person, or you know, it's kind of like primal as maybe smelling a person is, or maybe you could think of it as running the gamut from pleasant or unpleasant. It's like part of apprehending another person. And part of connecting with them. yeah, and yeah, saying flesh, 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 and however that's tied into pleasure, also pleasure or affection or you know, maybe like warmth or heat or you know, all of these kinds of things, it you know, it's just like it's really hard because it feels really, well, it is so absent.
0: I know and I think it's yeah I think it's like a basic human need I don't see it as like an optional right
1: it's like Um, it can't go on this cannot go on forever right
0: although and not I don't want to get on a rant but (laughs) I will just say I saw an enraging moment where Bill Gates was saying like oh like this is going to go on through 2022 and I'm like Fuck that guy! What is, why is anyone even talking to him? What does he have to do with anything? <laughs> it's like we can't really just take your word for
1: everything. Just I because also, you're
0: I don't an want-
1: incredibly smart business person,
0: or just like a super rich computer nerd that has no contact with his body, like nothing. Mm. <laughs> um. But anyway, um, um, well, what was I saying? Um, yeah, well, in those in this tale, like the woman, like she's a skeleton woman and then she like grows in a body basically and she gets all like fat and fleshy and then Uh goes into bed with this guy, like in in a way. She becomes embodied and then can be close to this person in bed. Right.
1: Yeah, like it was the natural thing to do. Yeah. Like she just did the obvious thing.
0: Yeah. And it doesn't really expand on what happens, but it it's a nice, it's a very sweet, like it, it kind of, it alludes to like being intimate with someone else and the necessity right. of having a body to do that.
1: Right. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I don't know, I felt like it was very of the moment, or kind of like, um I don't know, there's something soothing about it, the story to me. Yeah, it's like a happy ending, kind of. <laughs> yeah, it is a happy ending. You know, and it's like, I read it, I had read it before, and it kind of, you know, it must have been in my awareness somewhere. And then like, not that long before the show, I heard the name of the story again. And, and I was just like, Oh, I need to look at that. And I don't know, it just, it seemed so
0: relevant. <laughs> so I shared it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, it's very touching. I like it a lot as a entry point or something. I mean, In a way, like, well, I guess the piece that reminds me most is probably the plant and animals one, where it is, like, two kind of entities and relate that are, like, tied together, kind of, literally. Yeah, yeah, and that piece is, like, well, making
1: a symbiotic relationship between... um plant and animal life in a way kind of not non hierarchically so i was really trying to equalize them by their heights by the number of attributes that each of them had and by connecting them with each other's different types of
0: tubes or ropiness you know mm-hmm. so it was like really even yeah that's it feels totally even yeah it took
1: a while to like get it even or to get it to communicate evenness you know but i really i wanted them on really uh equal footing yeah you know and and in a loving relationship yeah <laughs> <each other>. <laughs>
0: I feel like it reminds me of something I read. It might've been Bell Hooks. I'm not certain sure now, but probably it was because I read this book she wrote about relationships called communion that like blew my mind. And she was talking about, yeah, like this idea of, uh, of kind of an equal relationship is still really radical in a way, like a lot of relationships kind of hinge on like a power, an Im- inequal power dynamic. Right. And like, yeah, that one person often dominates the other in some way, or maybe even swap back and forth or something. But like, but, like I don't know, like, I feel like she was offering an idea that that's not necessary, or we need to, we can recreate relationships in a new way
1: right um i think you said something interesting where it's like the power differential might not always be might not always reside with one person but it can shift back and forth Mm -hmm. you know um i definitely feel i've experienced that happening um yeah i love bell hooks i i've that Sounds very familiar, what you're saying, and yeah, I mean, with everything that's been going on, I guess. I in mean, a long, long time in the yeah. world, of course, right? But then I think recently our awareness is pointed even more towards that. Yeah, sure. Um, but I I feel like that's something that we are
0: working through right now as a culture. Yeah, which that I feel like you kind of take on, I feel like, or at least, I mean, I feel like there's a, there's a feeling of, yeah, like, mending or, I don't know, healing in a way in all of the work. I don't know, if, but like, in the piece, um, the inner hospital, like, is you kind of invoke that idea directly in the title but also like the piece itself has like feels like it it's all like red white and blue and um (laughs) it feels like it's invoking some idea of like of like a healing of our country maybe in some way that piece was actually it ended up kind of being
1: re a reworking of a flag piece that i made a few years ago that i think actually like wasn't ve- which i think was important to me but i didn't think it was that successful so mm. i didn't really know right away that i was remaking that but i wanted to make I mean, that that piece is a little bit complicated, but yeah, the red, white, and blue, I mean, the dye colors I use were from the first American flag, um, the cochineal and indigo.
2: So, um, I mean, indigo was cultivated
1: in this country. female scientists figured out a way actually to have several harvests um, of indigo um, per season in in the uh in the south i believe in south carolina georgia and florida and her doing that actually made it lucrative to grow the indigo in this country
3: Hmm.
1: so i guess i kind of feel I really feel like the first flag had to have been made from indigo harvested from slave labor and um, the know-how how to cultivate it and use it in West Africa. The cochineal is part of this continent. Well, it grows in Mexico and it grows in uh the northern part of South America, but um, it was a major cash crop, actually, at the time also. And um, I don't know, that piece gets kind of complicated, because I did make it, I did make her as a healing figure. Like, she kind of emerged as this shape, like the Virgin Mary or something in a way, like in a really abstract way, but with no eyes, you know? So it's like when your eyes aren't showing, it's like, I think your eyes are turned inward instead of outward, you know, if you're representing something. Mm so that she has no eyes is like a kind of inner vision. And when I made the, the pink tube, so it's all, all the resin purples are cochineals, but they're different, they're shifted differently based on the acidity or alkalinity of, of the dye. So when I made the light pink and indigo tube and, and the ends touched, I realized that it was like a circle, like she was holding the space Mm. or something. And then somehow I made the stars and it was the Big Dipper, but they were the same scale as the American flag spandex. And it's like, you've got space, which is the most, you've got outer space, which is the most overarching reality. Mm -hmm. you've got the self which is really real you've got your relationship to other people and you have your relationship to the political body that you're living under Mm. so I wanted to bring all of those things together into one piece somehow I don't know how much more to really say about this, but I guess I wanted to talk about the the organs on the ground being kind of like about personal transformation, or this could be personal transformation or societal transformation, but removing the organs, well, traveling into the underworld having your organs removed, examined and polished and maybe reconfigured or put back in some way into the body is part of, it's like a shaman, shaman, shamanic image from all kinds of cultures, Mm. Um, from cultures that didn't necessarily touch. Um, Traveling down and having that happen and then coming back up to the surface and then living out your life is like um
2: a transformative moment so i feel like we're in a
1: moment like that i guess healing all those parts and making a kind of wholeness
0: yeah It's very beautiful, all those things you brought up. Like, I mean, I love the part of like, that you actually did, like in a way, the work itself was like a a amending or a reworking of an older work. Like this idea of like working on oneself or, or even it reminds me of this Angela Davis, Book which I haven't read, but I have on my list of which is, the title is like Freedom is a constant struggle or something, or yeah, mm-hmm. even that like, like America itself was kind of an experiment or something, and and maybe that it has to be con- constantly reworked or reimagined or something. Mm-hmm. But like, yeah, also this idea of the underworld and all that, like having to look at what is painful or difficult in order to heal it like I think that works on a personal level and a political level Mm -hmm. and even just like I don't know this kind of I don't know where this came from but like I've heard even that people who have like open heart surgery often are kind of do you, like that it can be kind of heart opening in a spiritual way Uh huh. like that they literally have to crack open your chest and it like often can change people emotionally which is it's interesting that is really really interesting yeah because <laughs> that piece does i feel like look doesn't it look like a bit like an open rib cage kind of particularly or I feel like that is a recurring
1: thing. I guess it does, actually, kind of more so than some of the others. I mean, it is red, you know, it is a. That part of it is, well, a reddish hue, I guess. Um, But I can see your point about it being cracked open because there are other things inside yeah
0: Mm -hmm. and even like that idea of yeah to remove the organs you have to kind of open open things up or something right right
1: yeah I mean it wasn't like some big um project that I undertook you know it's just like it's still intuitive It, it kind of it's like things reveal themselves while you're working on things
0: yeah totally I think that's what's nice about it. I mean I, I in a way, I feel like I feel like I once or twice tried to take on a flag form, but like, it seems daunting, you know like it's a daunting it ha it holds so much, or I don't know, it has a lot of baggage, so but I feel like it feels like you took it on in a very personal way that's not super like not like beating you over the head with any particular specific meaning or like i don't know it's very open to interpretation
1: i guess yeah that's that's really what i want i want to make openness um and i'm really 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 okay with ambiguity too yeah I have an agenda for myself, I guess, sort of. But I guess it's it's kind of like not static, you know. When mm-hmm. you talk about changeability, you know, early on in this. Yeah. Everything everything's always in motion. So then in that case I don't feel like I I don't have a static agenda for myself, but I do feel like I was working through something i mean in a way i i feel like if if things are about healing you know if it ends up being about healing for other people if if that's what
2: they want you know i think it's like well
1: it started with me and myself healing myself by making the work And then it's just like, well, here, here it is for you too. And you can take it or leave it, I guess. (laughs) Yeah.
0: No, I think that's, I think that comes through and is powerful about it. Like, and I think maybe also something that's even overlooked in a way in, in terms of like changing the world or activism or something like that really it kind of must be a personal endeavor in some regard yeah like it revolves around like or I don't know that it's kind of you know like Gandhi saying like be the change you want to see in the world and stuff like (laughs) but even just in a I don't know yeah like you have to really look at yourself and and I do think like sometimes I think activism can be about like telling other people to change but like maybe in a way what we have more control over is ourselves right and I do think the work it feels like I do feel that sense of what you're saying like working through something I feel that in all of these pieces like there is a kind of Honest sense of your f- figuring out the form through making it and through like feeling it out, not just like not that you had an image in mind that you wanted to like that you knew from the start, or I don't know.
1: yeah, i I don't think I had exactly a total vision of um of anything at the outset, which is pretty pretty normal for me I I wouldn't really call myself a process artist but I think that is a component of yeah the way I work
0: I feel like there's multiple processes happening like you were telling me about that one at the show where you had like collected these washers were they and like rusted them on the fabric and it was like kind of related to a trip that you you'd gone took the desert and stuff and yeah I went to I really needed a break I was changing
1: jobs and a bunch of stuff was changing and I needed a break so in between my jobs I went to wonder valley california and 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 made my own residency Mm -hmm. so um i explored other ways to make indigo vats and then i also went to i made rusted fabric oh i saw your kitty
3: (laughs) i like that
1: Um, i i wanted to rust this fabric so there were so wonder valley is next to a military base and there are all of these abandoned shacks just out in the desert which is really flat it's a valley with joshua tree national park and then this mother something i don't remember the name malton on the other side Mm -hmm. so it creates kind of like this it created this kind of like echo chamber like this weird experience for sound and a weird perception of distance between things um anyway i went to one of the abandoned shacks and i don't know if it was a prop or really an abandoned house if it was like a military prop or or what but I scavenged metal from the outside of the house to lie to, well, it's an inanimate object, to lay onto the cloth Mm -hmm. um, to rust it. And then I just like chemically rusted it using some various chemistry and also using the sun, Mm. the intensity of the sun. So it rusted very quickly. So yeah, I mean, I think in, in those kinds of cases, you don't really know what you're going to get. And actually in the case of all of those dyes that I've been using, any of the ones that are uh, from plant matter or from metal or a mineral or whatever, or I guess in the cochineal, in that case, it's it's kind of like, a plant-animal combination mm-hmm. because the beetle that eats a certain kind of substance from a plant. Um in any of those cases there's like in, in any of the shibori and the folding, you don't know exactly what you're gonna get. So there is
2: a bit of like letting go
1: or having leeway Mm -hmm. there and being okay with the results which I feel like is connected to just like just process you know the process
0: aspect that one specifically with the rusted bits too like reminded me of because it has some like fake snake skin parts I think partly I mean the whole form somehow reminds me of a snake skin but it literally has some like commercially printed snake skin tubes and things Uh but Mm -hmm. like yeah I don't know that it also reminds me of kind of like a radio tower or something because it has these wires that feel like receptors or something like that
1: right I guess I I think I called it a channel Mm -hmm. and i mean i guess it's kind of a double entendre like the notion of channeling
2: something but also just
1: kind of like the sound frequency in the desert it's just like there's not a lot of sound happening so the bandwidth is pretty empty So, you know, Mm -hmm. you hear one sound and it's like, and hear a a clear conversation from half a mile away, or just because the space is so empty, you know, there's not a density. Yeah. You're not being inundated with this kind of like invisible density of sound waves, smell waves. I don't know like what else radio waves like all the
0: things (laughs) traffic I don't know I feel like in New York there's such a there's such a like fun there's ah, my cat is in the box I mean speaking of sound um yeah in New York you're never I mean which I actually found comforting in some way they kind of like there's always a kind of I don't know. I don't know what the word is, but uh, there's always like various layer of sound happening in the city. And yeah, it's kind of crazy when you go someplace where there's such intense quiet.
1: Yeah, it can really arouse your anxiety.
0: Yeah. <laughs> I mean, right. Like I mean, like the city sounds come. like actually when I would come to New York as a kid, because my grandma lived here i would find the traffic very comforting because it felt i don't know it's like envelops you or something yeah i think there's a
1: certain set of anxious types who move to the city and then they're sort of
0: like okay because mm-hmm. it because they do find things like traffic yeah <laughs> so well maybe scary. it's like you're never totally alone with your thoughts or cuz there's always yeah something to respond to in a way. Exactly. (laughs) But it's also really nice. Like I went to the Joshua tree in the beginning of the year and it was so cool and like made me feel like, it felt like timeless to me actually. Okay, that's interesting. How so? I don't know, it just it looks kind of prehistoric with all these rubble and giant rocks and I don't know and just the yeah, the profound silence like it feels like it could go on forever. I mean, I don't know. There's a there's a real sense of time also in a way of like the natural time or something, but it feels really still also. Yeah,
1: it does feel really still and I think the thing about it too is you can really watch the sun kind of traverse the sky mm. really clearly in every step of the way because there's nothing blocking your vision, there's nothing blocking your line of vision.
3: Mm-hmm. And then
1: you can see the moon rise and, and the whole you know all the the whole rotation happening you know and it it does kind of feel like slow motion,
0: yeah. Like yeah, you can see the time of day really clearly, but it feels like. And I don't really know. I only spent a day there, but I it feels like you could really shut out the world or something. And and if you did spend time there it would feel as if like every day was kind of the same or I don't know in a nice way or I, I don't know
1: yeah at the place I stayed actually didn't even have wi-fi which
3: right.
1: I guess could be dangerous at this point I don't know but anyway <laughs> it was it just kind of like added to that sense of isolation which I actually found like really
0: kind of welcoming at the time. Yeah, me too. This was before everything went down, but like yeah, I was like, good. I don't have to look at my phone for 24 hours or something. Yeah. <laughs> I was thinking about this like from you've done these different boutique and different kinds of process like which are called like resist processes and I was just thinking about like the like symbolic quality of that you know like the idea of resistance as being a part of the process like in the poetic sense or something I don't know (laughs) that's
1: really interesting yeah resistance
2: I mean I think being an artist is
1: an active resistance yeah, me too. <laughs> in and of itself, I mean, you know, when we're talking about time, time spent in our culture is so tied up into economic value
3: mm-hmm.
1: and a certain kind of speed. Um Taking as much time as you want to do
2: something, and
1: doing it at a speed that is has nothing to do with like manufacturing or, you know, the speed of manufacturing or whatever. Slowing things down, in and of itself, is an act of resistance in in this culture. You know, I mean, it's it's really kind of anti-capitalistic yeah
2: totally um you know it's like
1: kind of being outside of the rat race
0: automatically Mm -hmm. i feel like even just being vulnerable and being in contact with your emotions is a kind of resistance at this point totally (laughs) I mean, yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't really have any, anything to add to that. But like, I think just, I mean, for me, and I think for you too, it feels like your work is an inner healing or an like uh, figuring out who you are in a way like that you're learning what you've think and feel about things through the work and like I think knowing oneself is very like I don't feel like we're really encouraged to know ourselves in a way in the context of other artists or who I don't know
2: I feel like
1: I feel like the people who I surround myself with Do encourage me to know myself and they know and they work to know themselves as well
0: yeah I- yeah no I feel that too I just feel like more so in like maybe the larger I don't know culture I guess like it's like a culture of distraction and and avoidance or I don't know but yeah I mean I think I feel like part of being an artist and hopefully the community of art is a is a kind of more more in tune place or that's what I want I hope for it to be or you know yeah I guess I I would agree that
1: I feel like things are kind of orchestrated towards not knowing yourselves and that that, that's like um a part of technology Mm -hmm. or something and then and then that's a part of economics.
0: Yeah, right. Like people profit off of our distraction and exactly. People profit off of us not knowing who we are. Yeah. And they can tell us who we are and what we need and all that shit. who we should be. Oh, yeah, that's a big one.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: (laughs) I feel like maybe uh, thinking about just what you said about, like, there's such a push to, like, be productive all the time. And I feel like I hopefully that you can take some time to chill and decompress after your big show. But um, I'm wondering if there's anything that you're feeling inspired by right now or or even that you were looking at leading up to the show? Like doesn't have to be an artist, but like books or movies or music or anything? Um sure, let's see. I mean
1: I've been looking forward to reconnect with people because I've been really busy, so it's <laughs> like I have people in mind to I want to see maybe in person, and talk to, and I'm like really appreciating this and really appreciating you right now. I've been reading this book, well I've been trying to read this book because I, I'm taking classes, so. Mm-hmm. <laughs> as far as like what I want to be reading, I've been reading My Grandmother's Hands by Resmaa Minakim when I can, and I've been interested in energetic healing for a long time. And he is a trauma expert. Mm -hmm. And um, his
2: book is oriented towards um,
1: healing trauma, particularly in the black community, the white community, and the policing community. Oh, wow. And there are a lot of interesting body oriented grounding exercises
2: throughout the book. Um, So that's what I've been reading
0: most recently. Um, That sounds really interesting. I actually did like a guided grounding meditation before our um, interview, (laughs) just off of YouTube. (laughs) But um, yeah, that was making, so like also you, I know that you've studied Reiki a bunch and I even was, you did some Reiki on me one time, which was cool. (laughs) And I was thinking about. There's a piece in the show. Is it called the subtle body something? Or it's it has the word subtle body in it. Oh yeah, subtle body pillows. Yeah. <laughs> what, is, what is? Hi, Queenie. <laughs> <laughs> My co-host is. <laughs> um what the subtle body is like the energetic body is that
1: correct yeah that's the energetic body so i think the subtle body terminology comes from yoga um but yeah so that would be the energetic
2: body that um would be well imaged by
1: the chakras so it's not like directly part of an organ system but it correlates to it and it's um, the dynamic um, unseen aspect or the electromagnetic related to the electromagnetic field mm,
0: mm-hmm I like it how you called it the unseen. Like it's interesting to kind of. I mean, it's something I would think about in teaching and just in my own work. But like, I feel like bringing the unseen into the scene is feels like a very big part of visual art. I mean, not. Yeah. I mean, sometimes people just bring what's already seen into another way of being seen, but like. Uh-huh. I'm very interested in yeah, like bringing what is not tangible into visibility some way, and the like translation that happens there. Right. I mean, I think you probably could actually
1: train yourself to see it in
0: mm-hmm. paper form if you wanted to exercise that and you mean like in terms of like like i know they're kind of like color-coded and stuff like that or like auras or whatever
1: well some people respond to this in different ways so i think some people are can train themselves to understand it or to perceive it visually through sound, through smell, through a taste, through um, words coming into their minds. Mm-hmm. Mm.
0: So, so it maybe depends way. on how you're oriented towards... Yeah, that makes sense. Like, in a way, that's just, like, um, like the imagination process, right? Yeah, I mean, I think...
1: The big thing about this and also the connection to visual art is using your imagination. Yeah. You know, and I mean, I think you were talking to Max also about how, you know, even in science, you interpret information and you have to use your imagination in a way to find a way to frame it
0: exactly or even to even to imagine what has not yet come into existence you know like anything you plan there has to be some imagining of it for it to become right but yeah I feel like even like yeah a lot of people talk about it and Ram Das talks about like in a way, yeah. The imagination is really powerful. <laughs> it's kind of like everything. I don't know, maybe it's not everything, but um it kind of is everything. I yeah. mean
1: everything that is, we kind of have made up, you know, in terms of culture. Mm-hmm. Um everything's pretty much invented (laughs) yeah
0: like right like the all of the meanings and names and all of that is not is all imagined or created right or even like i feel like i heard something recently which is not a new idea but like even like sex for instance like the most like fantasy or the way you um like that it's like the most important organ in sex is your mind or something. Oh
3: interesting
0: <laughs> but it's true like even if you just think of like you can like literally get aroused from thinking about a certain image or scenario. Right. Or right.
2: <laughs> yeah
0: that's that's the
1: imagination definitely
0: (laughs) (laughs) yeah one thing we didn't talk about but which I think I mentioned that you're opening like that one piece with the with the um like there's little kind of shadow puppets or at least that's how I read them like there's little animal shadow puppets Uh I'm forgetting the title of that one but that one feels a bit that one feels a little more narrative than the other pieces to me. And and does like invoke the idea of storytelling or theater or something. Yeah. Um, it is really different. I mean
1: the animals are silhouettes, but they're very representational. Mm-hmm.
0: You know, like they're not cartoony. Yeah, they're a little more precise or something.
1: Yeah, which I feel like is kind of another way that I draw mm-hmm. times. And I don't even really know why I drew them so precisely. I don't know. I just let it go because that's what I did. So it must have been what I wanted or felt like I needed to do. But um, that's called animal medicine. And those all of the animals are animals that I encountered um, at some point, and maybe had some kind of resonance with me. And I did think about
2: Balinese shadow puppet theater. Um,
1: I also, I went, I spent like four weeks in Indonesia uh, a few years ago and that was a really interesting trip for me. Not only, well, I mean, they make, they use amazing batik processes there in their textile design and other ways of of dying as well, um, but kind of on a spiritual level, it was a very interesting trip. So, um, the the storyteller in the shadow puppet theater is also the person who makes the puppets and kind of like orchestrates the whole the whole thing. Um, so aspects of that piece were modeled after that so yeah it is like very theatrical it has a a screen in a way mm-hmm.
2: um the animals in that piece are
1: a musk deer um a female dog who just gave birth to puppies um in Vietnam that I, I saw and um She just she looked like the Roman she-wolf. Mm-hmm. you know, that historic image. Um, then my
2: cat was in was one of the images um, the Asiatic jungle elephant and um also
1: the the civet which is a type of cat Mm. that lives in indonesia and other parts of asia um i don't know i mean that piece is really about telling a story and in a way it
2: also ha. it's kind of about dance in eroticism in a way as well Mm. so I don't really know what else
1: to say about it right
0: now that's interesting though I wasn't at all I mean it's funny we were just talking about sex a little bit but like I didn't think of that when I saw it but then when you said that I thought oh yeah like the dance of the seven veils or something like okay the idea of like mm, well also just the idea of things that happen in the shadows or something sure yeah yeah but uh, it feels like there is a kind of like a scrim or a veil and yeah the idea of something being revealed or
1: I mean, it has a lot of other aspects to it in my mind at least, but um, those are just um, a few thoughts and kind of like the visual aspects of the work. Mm -hmm. Um, It also has two two pairs of feet, um, two sacrums and Hand, two hands mm-hmm Just two. <laughs> only two hands not not four yeah. yeah yeah four feet two hands
0: mm-hmm I don't think I noticed that the sacrum is like the end of the spine is that right
1: yeah so that's um so it's the the sacrum and the coccyx okay. are the last vertebrae so the sacrum is five fused vertebrae, and then the last three below it are not fused, but it's the base of your spine. So, in Kundalini yoga, it is kind of like a plug in or it has a relationship to earth energy. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's like you're channeling the energy. The goal is to channel it from the base of your spine up through the spinal column and out of the top of your head. You know, it's like yeah. then it's move then it's moving, you know, and mm-hmm. then it should come out of the top of your head and um serve some
2: kind of purpose or
1: a greater good or some kind of like energetic uh contribution Mm -hmm. some kind it's like it's um a way towards wholeness and then it's like when you're whole you can give something to someone else or It can move outward. Yeah.
0: Isn't the sacrum too like it's like where the creative energy and sexual energy kind of derives or something? Like I thought that was like kind of like a snake in the bottom of your spine or something. Yeah,
1: it is where the creative energy is. Yeah. I mean, I feel like in a way to me that representation is just kind of like, or that, making that part of the spine or representational is kind of about being an artist
2: or being a creative person. Mm. So to me, it has that
1: aspect of being the starting point for all the work in a way
0: yeah I love that. I can I didn't totally connect that before now, but that makes a lot of sense. It almost feels like a an amulet or something like it recurs in all of the does
1: it occur in all the work or It's in most of it um in some format in in some of them are bronze cast, some are wax cast and one is actually made out of fabric mm-hmm. um plants and animals doesn't have a sacrum per se but it does have a i don't exactly want to say a directional kind of hierarchy to it but it does have sea sponges in it and root, root vegetables Mm
2: -hmm. as as kind of
1: the underground starting points or the under ocean, quote unquote, simpler life form that is built upon Mm -hmm. um, and builds in complexity, but kind of like that ambiguous aspect too that isn't really a plant or an animal. I mean I'm talking about the sea sponges, so it doesn't really have a it doesn't have a sacrum image in it, but it has the idea of that movement. And then coming upward and being the upward growing plants, um or the human life form.
2: the intestines
0: the head yeah Mm -hmm. that's so cool yeah like I mean I feel like so in the grounding meditation I did like I feel like which I feel like I've heard in other things I feel like there's often this idea of like imagining the light coming out of your feet and like turning into roots and stuff and like Mm going to like the core of the earth or something and um (laughs) yeah with with just i guess but yeah I, i like that idea of thinking of it as a as a starting point or or a base or even it's where you connect to other things too right yeah
1: it's your connection point to other things i was just thinking about how yeah taking care of yourself yeah today I went to my studio and I really didn't do anything and it kind of felt
0: nice mm-hmm. to just rest is that like something it's interesting like since I have live work I never go to my studio to rest but I like in some way you could say I'm always in my studio uh-huh. <laughs> but like what's that like like I don't I haven't experienced that very much to go in the studio and not be necessarily, unless I'm like looking at stuff, but yeah, it sounds nice. It sounds like a nice meditative moment, though.
1: I knew it would be quiet there and I just wanted to look, mm-hmm. you know, and
0: not do. Yeah. Did you have, like I was looking on your website and there was a lot of work that felt related to the work in the show. Was there a lot you kind of edited out or that's still in there?
1: There are a few things that, no, there are two pieces that didn't go into the show that I did think about having in the show. Um, and And yeah, and I think they were more recent and I think that they actually may need more there are things about them that need to be resolved, mm-hmm. and I also want to watch the rest of uh, the small acts. I don't know if they're movies or TV show shows. Is it but, Steve McQueen? Yeah, they're really, they're really excellent. I think
0: I heard that from like someone else too, and now I'm like, I feel like I was like trying to find that exact Gustin quote. And I feel like he had some quote about axes or even small axes. And I'm like, maybe I'll find that. <laughs> what is the, I don't know anything about that. Um, I don't know anything about that show except for that Steve McQueen does it. Um, it's about the Caribbean community in London. In the 70s and early 80s. The gusting quote is, give me six hours to chop down a tree and I will spend the first four. Oh, wait, that's Abraham Lincoln. Never mind. <laughs> 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 what? Why did that come up? <laughs> 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 Never mind. <laughs>